0: This podcast exists because of the paid support from members at DecodingTV.com. Get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes by becoming a paid member at DecodingTV.com. Thanks to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this show possible. What makes you happy is other people being happy. So the gift is their faces when we tell them about this. And the model home is a kind of a memory of that feeling hello everyone and welcome to decoding tv a podcast about television i'm david chen and my gift is the smile on my co-host's faces when i'm recording a podcast with them joining me today he has been my valiant co-host during this entire series of curse episodes patrick lepik
1: i'm trying to hold on to the memory of the feeling i had before i watched the finale of the show (laughs)
0: and also joining us uh a very special guest and also my frequent co-host on this week in streaming you've seen her work as jesse gender on youtube jesse earl hello uh i just want to ask both of you is my uh baby belly in shot right now uh can you see it (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Today on Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing the season finale, probably series finale, if we're all being honest, of The Curse, uh, which is streaming right now in Showtime Paramount Plus. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at decodingtv. We are going to start by talking about our overall reaction to the finale and then move into a detailed spoilery recap but before i do that a couple of quick announcements uh i mentioned uh as i recorded the show with patrick last week that uh, in the weeks to come we're going to be shifting decoding tv to a weekly format stay tuned the next few weeks there's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to be covering on the podcast, including True Detective. I know Patrick Klepek super psyched about that. Uh, you should expect to hear some coverage of Echo, Masters of the Air. Uh, so it's all going to be happening on Decoding TV. Just keep it tuned in at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, there are a few follow-ups, a few emails we got at decodingtv.gmail.com at that I thought it might be nice to address before we get to today's episode. First of all, I wanted to make a note of the music on... The Curse, uh, the show, like we hadn't really talked too much about it, Patrick, Uh, but there are multiple scenes in The Curse of people sitting in cars singing along to the music that's playing uh, in the car. And in particular, uh, there's a scene where Emma Stone's character, Whitney, is singing Robin's Dancing on My Own, which is Mm -hmm. a very appropriate song for her because i think that's how she see, you know pe- people sing the songs that represent how they see themselves basically. right <laughs> dancing on my own by the way has been added to my regular rotation playlist after i watch this performance
1: you uh, never you never heard oh that's one of my all-time favorite oh
0: it, it's uh, a great song I've, I've listened i've heard it before but i was just like i i start i add, like on um i subscribe to apple music and they have uh uh like Essential, you know, The Beatles essentials and Robin essentials, and so like I added Robin essentials to like my oh, regular rotation. She has so many
1: bangers. Yeah, like, she has so many a bangers. A great tracks.
0: I've been uh, teaching myself how to play poker recently. I go to play poker, and I'm just like listening to Robin, <laughs> Robin dancing on my dancing <laughs> on my own in repeat. <laughs> Uh, that's how that's how
2: you.
0: Yeah, that's it's on my poker (laughs) playlist. So anyway, and then uh, there was also a scene where Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie wrapped Dead Prez's "Hell Yeah." Which was highly enjoyable for a variety of reasons, um, uh, because uh, you know, very uh, suitably, very appropriately, they don't use the N word; they just say <laughs> N word, like literally the phrase N word instead of the actual N word. Would kill to see the dailies
1: from that <laughs> yeah. shot. Um. Must have been an
2: yeah, interesting it's day a- to
0: shoot. It's a uh, it's it's a conundrum these days, you know uh, uh, that that. Uh, many white people, none, present company excluded, I'm sure, have with rapping songs that have the N-word in them. And uh, I, I I don't know that there's any good solution for it other than not saying anything when uh, that word comes up. But I feel like the solution they came up with is just fine. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I just I was, I was just like, oh, like I, David Chen, I don't sing along to raps in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've never come up to that, you know, come up to that problem i can't before. memorize
1: anything so i'm safe
2: <laughs> um
1: i'm yeah. good I'm, I'm, I'm safe from this problem uh, i can't but I, sing
2: at all <laughs>
1: but you know about, uh uh i did grow up in the in the 90s and i'll say that's not the policy most white people had in the 90s that is <laughs> that is correct
0: no. Wow. Patrick Klepek continues his description of his 90s crime speed. I told uh, you I can't
1: memorize things, David. <laughs> Do not put this on me. I'm just speaking to the culture. Mm-hmm. I will admit to my crimes.
0: Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure yeah. I would
1: admit to that
2: one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, anyway, it, it's funny because obviously that's how those characters, you know, I, I think to some degree that's how Asher sees himself in the show, right? Uh, and. Um, yeah, I just think the music is a really interesting window into the character. So I wanted to give that a shout out. Okay, we got a couple emails at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let's start with this email about Jimmy Buffett. Uh, Andrew writes in to decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> talking about our discussion of episode nine, uh, and he, I'm not going to read the whole email, but he says, quote, when Whitney went to talk to her parents, her dad was wearing a Grateful Dead t-shirt. I'm not a a big fan of theirs, but it says something about how he sees himself. And then Andrew goes into this whole description about how he used to be really into Jimmy Buffett's music. Incredible story. Incredible story. (laughs) And then he says, quote, eventually I saw Jimmy Buffett in concert and it was a cringe fest. He was fine, but it was the crowd that got to me. I was younger than his core audience and just saw old white guys wearing Aloha shirts and inflatable parrots on their heads. Looking at these people, I just thought most of these guys are probably corporate scumbags and shills during the day and try to come come off with their costumes as relaxed guys who just like to have a fun time. Uh, The show was at MSG, which is not a big tropical paradise. I wore one of many Aloha shirts too. After the show, I stopped listening to Jimmy Buffett's music for the most part, though a few of his songs I actually like, uh, but was done trying to force myself to be a big fan. The Aloha shirts also went a bit deeper in my closet, except for when going on cruises or vacations. I know this is long winded and rambling, but this is how I saw Whitney's dad. And it may be cringe, (laughs) even though it wasn't a Buffett t-shirt. I know the vibe her dad was going for and cringed when I saw it. Also, Asher was definitely pulling his little pud in the bathroom. Anyway. <laughs> like, I agree. So, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Anyway, uh, lovely email about how, like, just like a simple choice of which t shirt this guy's wearing might tell you how that character sees himself, you know? So, yeah. uh, any Jimmy Buffett fans on the podcast right now? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: no, but you're
0: reminding I, me... Of- I
1: hope someone raises their hand. It's all <laughs> I want right now is someone to admit <laughs> to that.
2: Jesse Earl. Oh, it just reminds me of a terrible, uh, like, traumatic moment. I quote unquote traumatic moment, uh, where I was in the Bahamas for, like, a business thing that I was uh, at. And the people, like, instead of, like, actually going to, like, an actual restaurant, people were like, wouldn't it be funny if you went to Margaritaville? And so we go to Margaritaville and it's the most uncomfortable feeling I've ever had because I'm just in the Bahamas at a Margaritaville and it felt like the most capitalist thing I've ever done in my life. It was horrible. Um, But then there was a bohemian band that started playing around us so we couldn't talk so we're all just sitting there listening to an actual bohemian band play around us at a margaritaville uh in the middle of the bahamas and i was like i feel like the worst person in the world right now
0: <laughs> fair sometimes yeah. you are confronted with the full extent of uh yeah uh america's colonialist tendencies yeah it was like know? all and, right uh... there and
2: i'm like great i i'm glad i'm here this is this
0: is wonderful <laughs> for me <laughs> All right, thanks for that email uh, from Andrew. I wanted to read this email from Curtis, and this is a good way to lead into our conversation about our overall thoughts on the episode. Curtis writes in to DecodingTV at gmail.com. Hey, David and Patrick, I've enjoyed your coverage of The Curse. I love The Curse, or at least I loved it at the beginning. I thought the growing tension indicated writing that would lead to one of the greatest seasons of television, one of the great seasons of television. However, I'm starting to feel a little bit of lost syndrome Uh, like the television show Lost. The show opens up more threads than it closes. It's not as tight as I thought it would be 90% of the way through. The concept and main thread of the titular curse often seems to get forgotten. I hope that this would be one of the best seasons, uh, like some of the best seasons of Arrested Development, The Sopranos, Succession, Fargo, and others. A classic season of bleak comedy television. After watching episode 9, I now believe there is a more than 90% chance The ending will be more like Lost or Leave the World Behind, an escalation of tension that disappointingly leads to a fart of an ending, and then nothing. I hope I am wrong. Does any part of you feel the same way? End quote. Well, let's
1: get into it, folks. (laughs) Well, okay, so is this where I start my 90-minute defense of the ending of Lost and that people misinterpreted how that show went along and is about the characters all along?
2: Thank you, thank you. I am also a huge. Have I also of have I Lost found a,
1: a fellow traveler in this? Yes. yes, I will defend. Oh, I'm sorry, you were ending. watching a different show and tricked yourself into it. Ooh, the marketing like made me think it wasn't a show about the character Jack and his dad.
0: Anyway, sorry. Um, All right. Well, putting putting aside so your feelings, about law, let's let's <laughs> substitute in, in place of law, Substitute in any other show that you feel didn't stick the landing, right? Uh-huh. So, do we feel like? Maybe the finale is going to drop some threads that were seeded earlier this season, Patrick Klepik, What do you think?
1: So, are you, is this is my overall thoughts on the finale. Is this all right, all right.
0: But before we get to yeah, I want, it is yes. I, okay, I, I, I do want to say one thing. We are yes. recording this show immediately after, like the show has aired. It's live now. It's going out to DecodingTV.com shortly after it's aired. Um, and so I assume that there's going to be some discourse some explanation some theorizing about the show uh, that we do not have access to and i will tell you this uh, we have not heard a peep from uh showtime publicists all season i, I assume they're thrilled with our coverage of the show from a week to week basis <laughs> um but uh, we did get one email i was gonna say uh, we got one we got one email <laughs> one email this week saying Hey, the curse finale is airing this week. Do not say shit about what happens in that finale, please. It's like Like, four
1: lines that are just like
0: a a fancy
1: way of saying, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Do not say anything about what happens in the finale, please. Okay. So um, before it airs, of course. So now it has aired. We are talking about it. Uh, But uh, yeah, basically what I'm saying is I feel like there's going to be a lot of conversation about the finale. We have not experienced that conversation as of recording this this podcast. So um, all that being said, Patrick Klepik, what do you think of the finale? I love a big swing. I
1: do. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, and I think the, the most generous reading of the curse of the season finale it is that it, it is it is deeply memorable. You will not forget <laughs> that you watched the season finale
0: to the curse. Impossible.
1: <laughs> it's staring you in the face. It's It's grabbing
0: you. Which, which, by the way, is is more than you can say for I'm going to say seventy to eighty percent of shows. Absolutely, you know, like-
1: absolutely. Uh, and commitment to a bit in Nathan Fielder fashion, it's here. I okay. <laughs> I, the bit like where are we done with this? Oh, we're not. Oh, we're not. Oh, we're asking. Okay. So, long story short, I did not care. Essentially, I loved the first twenty minutes, and then there's a moment that we'll get to uh, in spoilers where something really fundamental shifts in sort of the nature of the show. And it really did almost nothing for me. I just I, I dis- highly disliked that we just kind of lost all the threads and the characters. I don't really feel like it builds up to something. I can easily see how people are going to find a way to see a, like a thematic thread. I can see a thematic thread, but
0: the, oh, uh, oh, pe- people by people you mean uh, one of your co-hosts here on this <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not going to disagree try.
1: with you on probably that was the intention. I guess where I landed or didn't. What <laughs>
0: was, was going to make that Nailed it. no else. Nailed it. Too, uh
1: Nailed was it. that it 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 just absolutely did not work for me, which is which is strange because I think as an episode of television, I think it is thrilling and interesting and bold and exciting. As a season finale to the show that I watched, I think it is more or less a failure. And I found that really frustrating uh, for the show that I thought I was watching up until this point. Um, and that's kind of where I, I ended on it.
0: I, you know, I, I feel exactly the same way. And literally the way you just put it, that's how I phrased it in my head before we started recording was – if you just watched this one episode of television, you would think that's a pretty great episode of television, right? Like, that's pretty solid. There's really well-done elements of that. But as a finale, uh, it really doesn't sort of pay off a lot of what we have been building up to this season. Again, unless there's some really big ideas that we just completely missed, which I openly admit is possible. Jesse Earle, uh you know, Jesse... Um, did Yeoman's work here because (laughs) she uh, you know, I've been trying to make this like trio happen. The the three of us podcasting together for weeks now. And uh, you know, I was throwing out ideas like, Hey, you know uh, what's Patrick watching? What are you watching? Oh, maybe you can catch up with the curse. So Jesse watched basically the entire season uh, over the course of the last like week or two, just to catch up in time to be here for this podcast today, so she, she's got a very d- condensed experience of the curse.
2: To be fair, I, to be fair, I was planning on watching at the very least. So
0: right, right, <laughs> but always... this just made it, it made you speed up the process a little bit. So mm-hmm. you have a little bit of different perspective in that you have compressed it all into a very short time period. What did you think of the finale? i i. I... Listening to both of you talk about it, I don't
2: think I could say anything that I disagree with. But for me, it did hit. And I actually really, really love this finale quite a lot. Um, mostly because it does. I mean, we mentioned the lost finale. And I know, Patrick, you like it as well as I do. But it, it kind of has that same vibe for me in that it it kind of delivers on the thematic threads and uh, the the ideas that I wanted it to play with. And it it just leaves me sort of sitting here wanting to discuss a lot of what this was attempting to do in a way that excites me. Um, So I I don't think, you know, just... I don't think I can disagree with either of you on anything that you said, and I think it really just comes down to a personal preference on whether you it works for you or not. Because I think none of us are going to really disagree on it being a big swing um, and it (laughs) being incredibly memorable. Which, honestly, again, I think is I think Patrick, you said it is like it 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 is more than most shows uh, do with their finales. They they (laughs) at least it didn't peter out i'll give it that and uh, that that was that was an unintended pun right there anyways
0: (laughs) yeah nice nailed it nailed it i i think i just want to add one other thing before we get to the detailed recap which is uh this show is co-made by benny safty and nathan fielder those are two people who in my opinion know how to end things well uh nathan for you ended with a like 90 minute finale called finding Francis, which was very beautiful and touching and represented the best of what that show could do. The rehearsal on, on HBO had one of the most haunting finales. I I, I still think about those, those final shots of the the finale of the rehearsal season one, and there's going to be season two, apparently. So like, uh, I, I think they understand and of course, uncut gems. I thought had an amazing ending. You know, the, you know, Safdie brothers worked on that. Um, good time had a great ending. You know, like they have made good endings before. I, I I have to believe they know what a satisfying ending feels like, and they deliberately chose this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this was incompetence. You know what I mean? Like maybe, uh, like like sometimes you watch a show and you feel as though things are going off the rails and these people don't have control of the characters or the storylines and it just ends unsatisfyingly. And that's that like, and that feels like incompetence. This does not feel like incompetence, but it feels like they definitely made a choice that at least Patrick and I didn't really love Jesse liked more, but yeah, I mean, we all, I think admired it, Mm. right? We all admired Mm. it. And, uh, and I agree with Patrick. I would much rather take a show that swings big and maybe misses or, grazes the ball and it and it gets caught it gets caught for a double play you know like the analogy it's
1: it's it's just fascinating because my 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 wife is just starting to watch this show she was finishing up the first episode not long after I'd watched the finale and she said something to me as she was finishing it she's like where does this show go and i just <laughs> stared into space for a little while because i didn't even know how
0: I, just,
1: I, just, I was like at a loss for words. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And she's like, is that an endorsement? And I said, I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and you'd already seen the finale at that point, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. if you are, if you are looking for, uh,
1: I, I will say for as, as much as we're going to get into, and we'll get into it in detail. Like what parts of it didn't, I found to be unsatisfying based on what I specifically wanted to be paid off in the finale. But again, you know, part of, like, why you started, you know, this the entire project, David, why I wanted to, like, collaborate with you on it was, like, you want to, f- like, there's so much out there. How do you choose what to watch? And if part of your issue is, I, it all kind of seems samey, and I can't, it all feels like all operating in a similar, like, so, like, vibe and, qua- like, the curse is none of those things, uh, up, you know, like, even to its final shot. Like, I have no qualms about having watched it. I would have some qualms about rec- recommending it based on, um, right. like, how I think what kind of journey that person would go on. But if you like look at like this this stranger era of TV, you're like nothing is like nothing is sitting with me. Like this will this will sit with you. Like <laughs> this will, and and I do think that is. However, I feel about w- what it decides to and not pay off. That's not nothing. In an era where you can watch so much. Uh and I, I would still highly recommend the curse for people who are like looking for a particular style of show that will take them on a journey. Because it it does that. And I and I, I'm with you, David. It is a I think it's a very confident finale. I just disagree yeah. with the yeah. choices. Like these are storytellers that from from the from the the jump, the reason you and I were so willing to go along with <laughs> why are we on this tangent is like we'll These are smart people. And I think they made a smart ending. It's just a matter of, like Jesse said, where does it land for you thematically relative to the creative choices it makes?
0: Well, Patrick, I'm just going to rewind the tape on the podcast and note the many times where you said, hey, even if it doesn't go anywhere from here, this was worth it. Okay. So just get, you know, just gentle reminder. And I feel the same way. I feel the same way. But uh, it has been a a really, you know, I have really enjoyed the series of conversations we've had uh, about this show and great. This has not been the most popular show Decoding TV has covered, uh, <laughs> but the people who have stuck with us, I think have been rewarded for it with uh, some some great conversations and some, some cool vibes. So those are our overall thoughts on the finale of The Curse.
1: and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: So much more to discuss. Let's get into it. Uh, we opened the episode with a filming of an, uh, an episode of Rachel Ray. There has been a massive time jump. Since the last episode, Green Queen is on the air and Whitney is visibly pregnant. Any guesses as to how long it's been since the last episode? It's been like. Yeah. But they had filmed what two
1: episodes, three episodes? Like we had only seen a fraction. We seen. How, do we, David? I know you watch reality TV. Jesse, I don't know if you do. How long a reality show
0: seasons generally?
2: It usually. The, I mean, it depends yeah, t- on t- the t- channel, right?
0: Yeah, yeah t- ten to thirteen episodes. But I'm not. It's not clear to me that all the episodes. Probably all of them are live. Um, but uh, uh, Whitney is like visibly pregnant, so she's showing. So that means what second third trimester probably right yeah it's like yeah six, and six and the,
1: yeah yeah and like the the course of this episode seems to take place in a truncated period of time where like they're mm. anticipating the labor coming any day now
0: oh yeah so. yeah that's right that's, so yeah. she's she's definitely like in the final days of the I forgot yeah uh, I, my I guess is goes. two
1: two years like at most right
2: like that would be, a, be yeah my, maybe my like guess. one year you know yeah but like um, a year and two yeah
0: makes sense. the the biggest time jump we've had since the show began. And we open on Asher and Whitney guesting on an episode of Rachel Ray's cooking show where they're promoting the first season of their series. And, uh, what, what plays out is I I measured it an eight minute long clip of the Rachel Ray show where there's minutes go by and you don't even know why we are doing this. (laughs) Like, and I was, I texted Patrick, like, as you know, I sent Patrick a couple texts as I was watching the show. Um, because he had a strong reaction to the finale. And so he texted me and then I I texted him back. I said, I admire the show's commitment. (laughs) You know, any other show, some studio note would have said, hey, do we need to have eight minutes of the Rachel Ray show uninterrupted uh, at the beginning of the finale episode? And uh, they would have gotten that note through, but not uh, Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie. They have enough juice that they're like, we want to show eight minutes of Rachel Ray uninterrupted and they were able to get it on the air. Just uh, in time for
2: some Sopranos uh, 25th <laughs> anniversary too cuz Sopranos yes. <laughs> actor is there as
0: well. <laughs> yes. Uh what uh, Vincent uh, Pastore, right? Is that what his yeah, name yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, Vincent Pastore who plays um uh Pussy Melanga on or a Pussy Bonaccero. Big Pussy Bonaccero on um The Sopranos they're promoting his cooking. Uh yeah, I mean Jesse, what was your reaction to this whole opening sequence?
2: I, again, it kind of goes to what this whole episode is saying. I, I, again, I loved this. Like, this worked so well for me because the creepiness of just seeing them in the background smiling, just having that smile on for eight full minutes because they're mostly ignored. Like, they say a few things and uh, Rachel Ray sort of, like, comments on it, kind of, like, pushed down puts them down a little bit and then, and then keeps going with the show and they just have to sit there smiling. And it just kind of goes to the, the whole vibe of this episode is just their characters. They just don't have any weight to them. No, no pun intended. Like they, they've let, they, they work so hard to try and like have this impact and say, we're changing lives. We're doing things. And, no one cares no one gives a crap and like the the most that she can get uh, uh that Whitney can get out there is like oh maybe like have a timer to take shorter showers like that's the only sort of piece of advice that Rachel Ray takes away um from all of this like drama that we've been watching for you know 9 weeks at this point so it's just it it was just this, this very confident way of showing like they have no impact whatsoever in the way that they thought they had this great sense of like meaning and self-worth. And it just means nothing to anybody that they gave a shit to talk to.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, m- one of my favorite moments in the episode is the smash cut from, mm-hmm. you know, you're in Rachel Ray's crowd and then smash cut to them, like sitting you know, in their house with the camera there. Yeah. Uh, and it's like dead quiet. And they're just smiling for minutes. Cause that's what that, that's what their experience of it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me, honestly, of a TikTok that still haunts me to this day. <laughs> um, basically, like, there's a whole, there's a lot of uh, influencers on TikTok. And, you know, uh, I once saw a TikTok that was like, uh, you know, this and 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 that's how you make a green, like green goddess dressing for your salad, you know, and and then it cut to like a shot from like, you know, 10, like eight feet away from that person looking at that person recording that. And just, like, turning off the camera and sighing and being alone in this big apartment by themselves. And uh, and I'll never forget that, of just, like, how what you see in front of the camera is, like, so different than the experience of making uh, the stuff that you're making sometimes. Patrick Klepek, any thoughts on this Rachel Ray segment? It was
1: in a show that we have constantly praised for lingering, where shots go so much longer than is maybe even necessary, but the show makes it necessary because by having shots go a minute, five minutes longer than you would normally anticipate for the storytelling beat, it's creating its own sort of tension and world building, like through that, like that process. This might've been my (laughs) absolute favorite version of those because it's, it's not us watching. I mean, there's a level of cringe here, uh, certainly uh, as, as Jesse pointed out, like relative to the characters and the show they were trying to make and all that, but just, Sitting with the sh- this actual like fake version of a Rachel Ray episode for so long as like the camera goes away. Like, all right, we're making meatballs. always oh, we singing? There's some sexual tension. I It was just – it's patently absurd conceptually <laughs> for it to have gone on this long. And it's, it's what like, I – It's almost like a
0: Tim and Eric sketch kind of It like really style, is. Right? I, I was yeah. sort
1: of expecting it to go fully awry at some point. Like why, why are we sitting in this for so long? And it right. doesn't. But it invites you to question yourself, as the show often invites <laughs> you to question yourself. Because I think it just, it just knows what it's doing. It is it is fundamentally aware that lingering in this show for this long is going to make the viewer go, "Why? Why
0: are we doing this?" <laughs> it will and, make you question and, the nature of your reality, right? Yes,
1: and, yeah. and I I adore. It's it's part of why I thought like right. this a- a section of the episode is so strong because yeah. it feels like the show. Like you said, David, operating on all cylinders where it's taking its own little version of reality, but then dropping it into a different version, like with camera cuts and like staging that we're probably familiar with. Even if we don't watch shows like this, you've seen clips from it. Yeah. And watching those worlds intermingle and dance is just, I mean, it's just delightful. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I i was upset when it was over. I was like, no, let's, <laughs> is this, I mean, for a moment I was like, is it possible? Yeah. That, like, the whole finale the whole episode is going <laughs> it's gonna, to be a, it's be a rachel ray episode it was in it was in the cards like yes. it was in the cards once you got past like minute seven
0: yes yeah absolutely absolutely any of you have opinions on rachel ray by the way i actually have made several of her recipes before i like she she was one of the people that helped me learn how to cook a little bit more because her recipes are like really simple and accessible so some people think that she's not you know there's a lot of there's some snobbishness in the food community, and some people think she might not be as refined and sophisticated. But I'm a fan. So it's good. whatever gets you to cook more, I, good, I Yeah.
1: The, the gateway to getting into like cooking for yourself, how easy it is to make better meals for yourself. Whatever gets you in that door. So if, you know, for yeah. someone it's Rachel Ray. Who cares?
0: Good to see Rachel Ray still getting work.
1: That's all <laughs> she was great here. Like I would, I would love to know. Like, what was the pitch on, like, getting this to happen? Like, to, like this feels like Safties fielder, like, pulling, like, right. like, favors in somehow. Like, someone knows somebody. Like, just how does this, yeah. how do they appear on the show that nobody's going to watch to, like, do this bit? I don't,
0: it's, yeah. it's delightful. Yeah. It looks like they recorded a whole segment everything. Anyway, all right. So, uh, later, the couple are having dinner. And Whitney reveals that she's upset that Green Queen is exclusively a streaming show and isn't available to watch on quote-unquote actual TV, making it hard for people to find. Uh, I found this pretty ironic, (laughs) considering (laughs) they're talking about how inaccessible their show is on a streaming service that no one watches. (laughs) On a streaming service that no one watches. Uh, Excuse me, Paramount Plus,
2: the home of Star Trek. Come on, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, wasn't
1: essentially... Over the almost over the course of this show uh, uh airing has been like the shuttering of the Showtime brand, right? Mm-hmm. As it gets in, isn't that and yes, it's more or less? That is true.
0: correct. That is correct. That is a thing that happened. Yeah, it is now. Showtime is now simply called Paramount Plus with Showtime, very <laughs> elegantly. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, a little oh, bit silly. Anyway, and by the way, by the way, yes, Paramount Plus does have some good stuff. No. Uh, no, and obviously, we spent an entire season covering The Curse, so it's not like we have any. No. Uh, but it's just like, it's probably not one of the top streaming services. Uh, they did reference HGTV Go, I think, uh, which is an actual service, as far as I can tell. It's their version of an on demand service. So, anyway, uh, but the show Green Queen has been greenlit for a second season. Whitney reveals a new irritation with Kara who apparently has quit art and started criticizing rich art collectors. And that is the last we hear about Kara on the show, right? Like that's it. That's the last mention. K- kind, kind of a bummer. I think like that, 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 that one, of, one of the first of several things that doesn't really pay off, I think is uh, Kara decides to not really be an artist anymore. Right. Like, and just complain about people. Yeah. Um,
1: I I think I, uh, like on paper, If you were to tell me that's the conclusion of Kara's arc in the show and her relationship with uh, Whitney, that makes a lot of sense for the character. But it is one of those instances where it feels like the grand idea for this episode becomes so all encapsulating Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that this plot is just sort of written out. It's like it's it's a fine ending to Kara and Whitney, but instead of seeing it, it's just sort of shuffled off to the side because – We need to get to the, like, predominant, you know, uh, portion of the episode.
0: It would have been nice to see Kara again in the finale. Just because I had gotten pretty invested in that character as the show went on. Even a text
1: message, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I think there were better ways to display it other than what feels like a throwaway line.
2: In in my – to defend it, I kind (laughs) of like it as well because it – it plays it from their perspective of her. And for the most part, her interactions throughout the show is when she has been brought into or Whitney has forced her way into her orbit. Mm. Um, and so we've never really had shots or scenes, if, if I recall, of her by herself or not very many of them. And so to have this sort of be like, oh, they're just talking about her casually, mm. offhandedly it roots us in their perspective, which is the same thing with like the Rachel Ray segment as well. Cause even though we're watching it from Rachel Ray's like the, the show itself, it, we are empathizing with Asher and Whitney in that sequence which is why it's so uncomfortable. where We sit there for so long. Cause we're like paying attention to them, just smiling in the background. Um, and so like, again, here it's almost as if she's the background to their own story and just sort of getting shoved off and you get this, resentment from whitney as well about like oh this is like she's still getting more attention than me for quitting art um and and it's just sort of this again this trying to centralize themselves and keeping us in that perspective of them Mm. while also um sort of like highlighting how they're very kind of bitter people
0: in a lot of ways Mm. fair uh, Asher then shows a present he got for Whitney, a small-scale replica of the house Abshir's family has been living in. The replica represents the couple gifting the house to Abshir. Uh The gesture seems to genuinely move Whitney, but she's immediately concerned about losing money. Asher, however, isn't concerned about going broke anymore because he believes they could survive on love alone. Uh, so, anyway... Abshire and I'm sorry. Asher and Whitney go to tell Absher about the gift. He's confused and concerned about who's going to pay for the property taxes. Taken aback, Asher and Whitney agree to pay the taxes. Absher then pushes further, asking for the property tax money in cash to help his credit situation. Instead of being welcomed into the home and thanked, Absher shuts the door and the two leave. Let's talk about this whole sequence a little bit. Uh, I, I think this is like very classic The Curse. You know, it's these two people thinking, "Oh, we're doing this really kind thing for this guy." And it's going to be this big deal. It's going to be this seminal moment in his life. And instead he's got other things on his mind, you know, and he's doing other stuff and he has like 50 things he's worrying about. And, uh, and it doesn't go off. It doesn't come across as, as they want it to. I want to ask you guys your thoughts on this scene, but I also want to ask, what did you guys make of the fact that there is a guy in Abshir's house? Now, I I have looked at, I I have studied the tape, (laughs) and later on in the episode, uh, there is a moment when Whitney uh, and uh, sorry, uh, they they have a contractor at their house, and the contractor accidentally says that he knows that it's a boy that they're having, and one of the you know he, he he's like oh okay well you know I guess we must have accidentally let it slip. And then one of the guys says, "Well, I'm going to tell everyone." One of the guys jokes, "I'm going to tell everyone." I was convinced that that guy was the person in Abshire's house, and that there was going to be some whole like conspiracy about like that guy was in all every scene from every episode, of, you know, like oh, in the background insane. somewhere doing. Something. He was driving the car. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I have studied the tape, and uh, I do not believe it's the same guy. It's actually quite confusing. Um, because they look extremely similar. Um, I, I actually am going to send you both a screenshot via text right now. You can see I'm texting you both. This is a screenshot of the guy from the, the, in AppShear's house and then the contractor. Um, the guy in AppShear's house, I think, is quite a bit older than the guy in the contract, but they have very similar beard and facial hair structure. Um, so I was quite confused. Like, was that supposed to be something? And I don't know what that was. So I, I, I basically, my conclusion is I no longer think they're the same guy. Um, but if they were the same guy, it would give us a lot more to talk about, about what's actually going on. This <laughs> um, yeah, my,
1: my interpretation was just, it's a, a repeat of a, a theme with the interactions of these three people, which is, Ebsheer's got his life going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah occasionally Whitney and Asher intrude. Yes. Thinking they're doing something kind like, Hey, we've done a bunch of renovations to your house, which have increased the value, (laughs) which then when your property is assessed, will increase the property taxes, which means what you owe on a year to year basis is going to be more than what this house was before. And when you rent, you don't owe property taxes that's paid by the. it's, it is, it is a, if I was, uh, not as happy with the Kara ending of a side a subplot. I thought this was a like wonderfully beautiful ending yes. to this particular subplot because it was just an exclamation point on every kind of interaction they have, like writ large, um, yeah. which which is like on paper well meaning but without really understanding the consequence of those actions and not materially changing someone's circumstances. Like, in theory, I guess. Abshir can take the cash and then find a way to flip the house. And maybe that can transform his life. But Mm -hmm. if they wanted to transform his life, just give the guy Um, Mm $300,000. And that's not what they did. They, they kind of put a, a burden on him um, that in theory, I think he's going to figure out. And I think the property taxes cash was, was key to that, but I was like, good for you, Abshir. Yes. Fuck them. I I get, (laughs) and they're clearly going to roll out. He's at least learned at this point, if you make them feel, if you make these white people feel slightly guilty, they'll go. Oh no, we better do what you just said. And he just takes that all the way to the finish line in a really satisfying.
0: Mm, way. I don't know. I don't. I didn't see that as particularly calculated. I, I saw it as more just he had a bunch of stuff on his mind and he's like he he's he's thinking ahead about how this could negatively impact him financially unless he's trying to emotionally. Well, I think he's calculated it. in the moment is what I mean. I think he's just yeah.
1: smart on his feet. Like I think sure. like like they they kind of like I think Asher and Whitney kind of look at like him as like lesser and like needing of help. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, his circumstances mm-hmm. are just different. Yeah. and He doesn't yeah. have the same tools that you do. But when when a when when a present is put in front of him, he does know how to unwrap it, um, which I think
0: is a real testament. <laughs> right, to him. right, and, and every bit about this is classic The Curse. Like he's, you know, Nathan Fielder's character saying, "Oh, uh, oh, you're crying? Nope, that's just dust. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, dust." My
1: he films it.
0: He yeah. films it in the car afterwards, trying to convince themselves that like they took he took it differently than than he actually did. Jesse, any thoughts on this before we uh, move on?
2: No, I mean I agree with you both this is a perfect button on that entire interaction with Appshear. It's 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 just goes to this whole thing where they consistently want to just be praised for everything that they do and like seeking this validation for like we are good people from external sources and just never getting it from anybody because they are not actually thinking about the people that they are helping. It's all about them and they just want to be patted on the back for. it And that, again, it just not only just a good nice button on this relationship but just uh, as you said Patrick just everything that they have been doing this entire season of just thinking they're doing good but just causing more harm because it's all really just about themselves.
0: Back at home, uh Whitney and Asher are installing climate control into the baby's room, but the rest of the house is still going to be passive. They ask a contractor to hide the panel that controls the AC. I want to pause here and say I do think there is something really interesting about what happens when basically liberal or progressive ideals collide with reality. Like this is something that is being dealt with in so many random forms around the country right now. Um, climate change, crime, um, There was one other one, uh, housing, you know, uh, specifically housing and, and, uh, and how we manage housing, you know, like a lot of liberals are very nimby, you know, like they're very like, Hey, we love the poor. We want uh, people to have better living situations, but also you cannot build more affordable housing because that means my property value will go down. You know, like there's, there's a lot of conflicts between, Hey, I want the house to be passive, but also it's when it's my kid. Uh, it's not going to be passive. And Have so you seen the, these
1: summers? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Eighty degrees—that's not going to work, you know. So it, I think it's just like, um, that's an interesting tension that the show has continuously highlighted, and I think it's you know this is a lovely final bit of highlighting. Um, the contractor presents Whitney and Asher with a baby present, um, but Whitney informs him they are not accepting gifts before the baby is born, and then that whole interaction happens where, uh, like they let slip that they know it's a boy. And then one guy is like, uh, you know, I'm going to tell everyone. I I think what we're meant to interpret for the whole scene is that guy was joking. It was not interpreted well. And the fact that Asher is willing to fire him shows that he's like, kind of not a nice person, right? Like, is that, that was my interpretation, especially after
2: Asher has made so many jokes that just didn't land himself. (laughs) And yet he gets, he gets to Mm -hmm. continually just like fail upwards to a degree. um and whereas this guy loses his job for a for a bad joke that asher probably himself would have told
0: all right so up until this point which is we've only talked about the first 20 minutes of the episode it's been a pretty standard solid curse episode right like it's just like oh this is exactly what we expect from the curse and maybe we're gonna get some payoff for where the curse is going or all this other stuff and arguably we did um but you know, like the tone is very similar to rest of the curse episodes, like the the style, and so. And then they go to sleep, and when the two wake up, Asher is mysteriously stuck to the ceiling as if gravity is reversed, and that's basically like how that is dealt with is the rest of the episode. Uh, they try to pull him. They you know they try to get Asher. They're they're convinced that it's because of the way air is flowing through the house, which didn't make much sense to me because I'm like. <laughs> Clearly, he's operating on a different gravitational force, um, and uh, I just want to give a quick shout out for how the reveal happened. Is Whitney wakes up like sl- very slowly, wakes up, and then she like sees Asher on the ceiling. She's like, "What are you? What are you doing up there? Like, what's going? You know." It, it, she reacts extremely realistically to how someone would react to this situation. Uh, anyway, uh, l- let's pause here. What was your reaction to this? Like when this happened, what was your reaction? How did you think this was going to play out, Patrick Klepek? What did you think? I did not try to get ahead of the show.
1: Um, <laughs> I was doing no theorizing. Um, I, I, it might have been around. I, I think I waited till I finished the episode before I texted you, David. But I finished it and was just went, huh. And then I think you were like, I'm dropping everything to watch this episode right now. I was like, yeah. And you're like, what, do you th- what did you think of it? I'm not going to say literally anything about what I thought about it, um, which you can read into in and of itself. But I I, I, tried to, I, I didn't know what to make of it. Um, it's, you know, this is a show that it's very, I think it's actually kind of funny that uh, we are about to get a new season of, of True Detective, um in which some of what i've heard about that new season is that it plays differently with the notion of what's actually happening uh, and the idea of the supernatural differently than the way the first season of that that show kind of played footsie with it and frustrated some viewers with the answers it had or lack of answers uh in in the end of that first season uh and here that has been a refrain that you and i have gone back on uh, david is what is is there a nature to this reality or is the curse merely metaphorical, thematic, emotional, people are more, you know, like it's trauma. Like we, we aren't sure. And even though what occurs here is a fundamental shift in our sense of reality, physics, gravity, the show still doesn't clearly answer like what's going on. And so I just, I just locked in and was like, okay this is what's happening now. Much like if you just woke up and the the sun was just blue. Well, I don't know. What am I supposed to do about it? The sun's blue. Now I go on with my day. And that's how we treated this episode was I genuinely could not tell you how this is going to end. And I now know how it ends and could not have told you that's how it's going to end. And so I mostly just took it at face value. And again, it was sort of in, in, in part with my feelings on the show as a whole was I'm willing to go places with this show that seem like it's veering because if they're veering, I, I want to veer with them. And and that was that was my thought on it when when this shift occurred.
0: Jesse, any initial reaction to Asher being on the ceiling? I mean, I, I have two
2: reactions to it. One, I'll just stick with the literal one, because once we finish up, I'll talk more thematically of how, how I feel about it. But just yeah. on a literal level, I found this to be weirdly a lot of fun just to watch this play out and just again it's the entire second half of the episode and it's just the complete evolution of it over the course of 20 minutes where like asher's just trying to like jump around his house and i i love the, the the how much it seems to hurt like when he tries to like go over to like another room and he has to like jump the lip of the the door and he just lands on the other side and flops around and you just it feels like it's painful and it's just it it, it It actually creates this something that the curse has been very good at. This kind of weird horror to uh, a situation that, in despite it being over the top, almost feeling weirdly banal. Like it's just him, like trying to get around his house in a in a strange way, and and just trying to like grab the phone or use like a vacuum cleaner to grab it and things like that. Like it's just very simple, and yet it just creates this very creepy vibe that is more over the top here, but I go back to like the, uh, the episode where he's like looking at like the, um, the f- camera footage and there's that horror music playing the entire time. And the very uneasy feeling of that. Um, it, it's, it just, it, it worked incredibly well on a literal level for me that I just, I, I was having fun just seeing it evolve all the way
0: to the point where he's in the
2: tree, <laughs> like desperately holding on for his life.
0: I just want to say on a technical level, I thought it was all very impressive. Like, yeah, At no point did I doubt that it was Asher being pulled upward gravitationally. Like I didn't feel like, oh, that's Asher on, you know, that's Nathan Fielder on wires, or there's something else. It felt like honestly they uh, had a set that they could like turn upside down, and then motion controlled the camera somehow so that they could film him, you know, but then they have them interacting too, they, which is like wild to consider how they even accomplish that. So I just think on a technical level, it's a huge accomplishment what they were able to do with Asher's <laughs> gravitational field being reversed. Um, which is not something I ever expected to praise about this show, but yeah. Here so, we are. so, uh, Now, on the one hand, I'm I'm thinking to myself, like, (laughs) I'm trying to think, I don't know if I'm playing into their little game, but like, I'm trying to think to myself, what would I do in Ash's situation? You know, the one thing I wouldn't do? Go outside. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. no. (laughs) (laughs) Because nothing is protecting me from falling upwards into oblivion. And
1: it's definitive Um, proof of your situation, whereas where he finds himself... Open to interpretation from outside observers.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Um. Anyway, all, but th- that said, he, he's obviously in a very stressful situation. You know, his wife's going into labor, uh, and he, his gravitational field has been reversed. And so it's like, you know, who, who knows what I would do in that situation. Um, Wendy begins experiencing contractions. They call the doula to help them out. Um, Asher managed to crawl out of the house, still stuck to the ceiling. Uh, The doula attempts to bring Asher down, but it nearly sends Asher shooting into the sky. Asher slips, but is able to grab onto a tree branch and prevent himself from flying up further. Uh, The doula leaves with Whitney, but calls Dougie and asks for for his help uh, while the fire department makes their way to Asher. When Dougie arrives, he's skeptical Asher is actually stuck, believing it's fear of becoming a parent Uh, that is leading Asher to cling to this tree up there. Uh, Dougie also recognizes this is a good opportunity for footage and seeks out a drone. Simultaneously, Whitney discovers she's going to need a C-section in order to birth the baby. The fire department believes Asher is just choosing not to come down and sets up a spot for him to safely fall from the branch. Asher tries to explain he needs to be tied to the fire truck, while Dougie asks the fire departments to re- to wire a microphone to the tree branch so he can talk to Asher. They begin cutting down the tree branch, causing Asher to have a full meltdown. At which point, Asher ends up flying into the sky, unable to come back down, all while Whitney's C-section happens. Asher continues flying higher and higher into the sky while Whitney meets the baby. Far into the atmosphere, Asher begins to lose consciousness. Dougie's drone operator reveals it's possible to see Asher, at which point Dougie begins crying and indiscriminately apologizing. Uh, all right, let's talk about some of the stuff that happened there. Uh, I promise you, I'm not having a stroke. Uh, that is actually what happened. <laughs> I felt that way re- recapping it. You know, it was, yeah. it was it was surreal to
1: watch live, but then as I was writing up this recap, I would type the sentence and
0: go, "Huh." <laughs> <laughs> there is there is a great horror movie esque feel to oh, absolutely, knowing that like Asher is telling the truth no one believes him and then you know you know when they send the person up I'm, the whole time i'm thinking to myself what are the what is the fire department doing the, the fire department by the way acted relatively reasonably i would say uh where they probably encounter people who are a little bit mentally unwell all the time and the last thing on their mind is that this person actually is going to fall upward into the sky the the the, the primary thing is hey, let's get this person down safely very very reasonable uh but yeah the whole time like Everything the fire department is doing, there's a sense of dread of, oh, they're going to do the wrong thing and it's going to be terrible for, for Asher. Um, So that was one of my favorite parts of the episode. Really compelling. Jesse, anything about this whole sequence that stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, the, the. Part for
2: me is just with with Dougie, uh, like mm. try like assuming that Asher's having a breakdown because his kid is on the way. It's like, what made you go up there with? Well, because you're you're like becoming a new dad. Why are you afraid of all that? And uh, Asher just trying desperately to explain what's going on, and Dougie just not paying attention, and even trying to get the drone for the shot. Again, a nice button on their relationship that that was perfect. Where it's just. Dougie trying to create his own negative impression of Asher for his own sensationalization
0: uh, of the show. Um, right. And yeah. and if he'd listened, maybe yeah. Asher would still be alive today, yeah. you know? Um, and you,
2: and again, like Dougie's like when, when Asher does float away <laughs> at the end and Dougie's like, at, like, tr- like traumatic response to that reasonably so, but it just, again, echoes the same thing that he did with his wife way back with in, um, when he when he died in a drunk, when she died in a drunk, his drunk driving accident. So it, it's, again, like him not thinking of himself first and not being aware of the people around him. Again, I just I thought it was a really great button on that. um Also, just again, on a a uh just weird science fiction fan in me, it's just <laughs> like the, the 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 concept of this is just so much fun. And again, terrifying that he could just fly up to nothing as we see.
0: Yeah. Patrick LePik, what were your thoughts on how this played out?
2: Yeah, I
1: definitely echo the 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 idea that it's a great sort of sci-fi horror conceit. This, in many ways, feels as though ah, a Twilight Zone episode has fallen into my episode of The Curse, um, and I think they, they get a lot out of that. Um, in in just the sheer audacity of the the concept, and again, that's why I, you know, in the in the pre spoiler section was so admired the commitment to the bit because it's again very in the same way the show lingers on shots like it could have this could have just been metaphor or dream and they could have played it for the same a small amount of horror and then we cut back to wrapping up the story in a more traditional fashion and it chooses not to um and goes down the path that it's picked for itself and it's, it's it's why I sort of separate my feelings on where the show lands relative to the filmmaking and creative choices in the episode as a sort of a singular work because – like as a singular work of like terror and tension, I think it's just like – it's immaculate. Like it's just so – w- in, in some ways, I would recommend watching this episode singularly and separate yes. from the curse because yeah. I think it yeah. is just an exquisite hour of television – and as you said, David, like, just how did they pull it off? Like, I want to see the behind the scenes yeah. featurette, mm, yeah. this mm. kind of stuff. They don't really produce that much anymore. Uh, but just how did you do this? It's just a really, it's a really wonderful hour of television. And this, these sequences in particular, as you're wondering, how are they going? You know, they're not going to get Asher down the way that he wants it to, you know, you sort of know the way this is going to end. It's just a matter of how, and I think there's a, You know, essentially the last major piece of acting that Nathan Fielder does in the show is is that that feeling of terror as he's he's screaming when he knows that he's completely fucked. And you pair that with the acting that he was doing at the end of the previous episode when he's committing himself to Whitney. You know, there's a lot of this show is Nathan Fielder acting adjacent to a Nathan Fielder that we're already sort of familiar feels like Nathan mm-hmm. Fielder acting and I'm not doing that to be condescending but it feels within a spectrum of what we've seen yes. him cable of doing before and then the end of the previous episode and that sequence of horror in particular really shows a intensity and range of uh Nathan Fielder that I didn't know the, didn't know the boy had it in him and I I you he sells how scary this feels for him in that moment in a way that like really got to me. Um, it's like, and again, it's, it's real testament to how I was able to be in the moment with the episode, even as I was sort of breaking it apart from my feelings of the show as a, as a full arc.
0: Completely agreed. I think he, he really stretched himself. You know, he directed many of the episodes. He really stretched himself. And I always admire when an artist tries to do something they they haven't shown before that they can do publicly. I will say the one thing that really bothered me about this whole sequence was, if I was uh, Nathan Fielder, he was clinging to the tree from above and just just shift it so that you're on the bottom, and then you can show people that you're actually falling upward, my guy. Like then, uh, oh then people right, because he see. could have separated yeah. his hands. He right. could have, he could have, he could have. Well, he was clinging, so he was like, you know, clinging as though he was about to fall upward. But if he just tried to climb to the bottom, quote unquote, of the tree, yeah. and just shown that he was, you know, then people would be like, oh, something's clearly amiss here. Um, why is he stuck to the bottom of that tree? That makes no sense. <laughs> and probably would have
2: been uh, more safer for him as well, because he needs to have something under him. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, the velocity but... at which
1: he leaves, it's like the pull. It's not <laughs> right. gentle. You know, you've yeah, yeah. used the term float. Floating is the wrong word. He, my man is shot out of a cannon, <laughs> like in terms of like the the, the speed yeah. at which he leaves, you know, our the atmosphere. And so if you imagine the tension that must be have on his arms in order to grip. Uh, yeah, like it's, yeah. It's no wonder that he doesn't last all that long.
0: Right. Right. Uh, yes. Sure. Uh, fair. Fair enough. That's a very fair plot explanation. Uh, and also if they did what I said, then the, sh- the episode <laughs> wouldn't have happened. So um, our our last shot of Whitney shows her handing off the baby and smiling, uh, looking into the middle distance while Asher floats above the earth. The show concludes with a series of slow shots through Espanola, Uh, concluding with Dougie trying to explain what happened, and some neighbors wonder if it was a stunt for the show. All right, folks, I got two big questions for you, okay? What happened? (laughs) And question number two, what did it mean, right? like What was the show trying to say with what was going on here? Jesse, Earl, do you have an interpretation of what happened at the end of the curse and what the show is trying to say with this ending?
2: Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I think literally it's sort of showcasing that there was some form of curse that Asher was dealing with. And I think it kind of what it means to me kind of plays on two different levels. One is it plays on the level of just focusing on the character of Asher in this moment where he we saw at the end of last episode. He sort of like like professes like he's going to be everything for Whitney. And Whitney's whole point, as she was saying in the episode that she forced him to watch, was like, I become his whole world. Like, I don't feel like he, he actually sees me. I'm just this symbol that he's using, that he's like giving himself to and putting on a pedestal. And then he sort of, he, his response to that is to do just that. And to just say, I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to recommit to this relationship by just, again, putting you on this pedestal. And it means he just subsumes himself completely in her and has no real sense of identity in any way, shape or form. Like even earlier this episode, he has that sort of like moment where he talks about his Jewishness and he like says like, Oh, well you're just as Jewish as me because like th- there's nothing that invalidates your Jewishness just because you converted after the fact. And she just sort of tosses it off. And like this, this part of his identity, she just doesn't have, she just doesn't have any association with or even care to like be interested in really. Um, and, it, and I think there's just this weightless feeling to Asher just showcases that he's just a weightless person. Like everything about him is just, he just has no impact on the world or people around him in in any meaningful capacity outside of just being the second person to Whitney. So I think it fits that. And I've been also thinking about, because I, I, I was, as we were watching the show, a lot of this is steeped in indigenous culture. And I was sort of thinking, because I was wondering if there were ever going to be like a literalization of the curse. And I think someone in the from an email was asking about like, what what does the curse mean? And have we lost that? And one thing that it made me think about just with that title is um, have either of you read the book Ceremony, um, which Mm -hmm. is a fairly well-known indigenous American novel from, I believe, like the 70s, um, sort of like an influential work. And it, it, it deals with a lot of things in it. But one of the elements of it that like was interesting to me when I read it was how The main character of that novel, who's this indigenous man who's suffered a lot of uh, trauma and indignities by living in America, um, is him trying to understand and incorporate white people into his view of himself and his culture and his history. And one way he was able to do that and sort of try to incorporate into his trauma and how he's been treated and how he views the world is to talk about whiteness as this curse. And one thing that, like, a discussion on whiteness is, is just how it's this colonial attempt to sort of homogenize all these cultures and erase any sense of identity outside of like subsuming to the colonialist identity. And so it, the idea of a curse it being t- it, like, overriding this whole series that is very much deep in indigenous culture, and this idea of Asher just being this non person, just weightless person, uh, sort of ties into this idea to me about how, like, colonialization not only just oppresses all of these people that, you know, white people coming in with their, like, attempting to try to, like, do good for the community, quote-unquote, but just ultimately hurting it by trying to fit everything into what they want the world to be, but also not having an identity for themselves and just, like, losing themselves into the abject nothingness of this, um, like, like melting pot homogenization of culture um, and trying to force everything into that as well. Like we had uh, with uh, the one, the whole like eating the meat segment of like you just take and you take and you take and you don't even question why. And so I I feel like this idea of like Asher becoming this weightless person of just floating away and, and dying in space. And it being tied, to this idea of the curse that sort of loomed over the whole series, just I think, just ties into that discussion of whiteness and colonialization and its and its impact on marginalized people, um, both indigenous folks, black folks, and others. That sort of like just been a through line through the whole series, which was sort of my interpretation of this.
0: Beautifully said. So the the falling upward is this literalization of the curse and all of like Asher's flaws, basically, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of why he does what he does um, or what happens to him. Happens.
2: Hopefully, hopefully that made sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was really, that was really lovely. Uh, Patrick Klepek, any other thoughts about like what happened and what it all means? Do you think? Well, I'm really glad you had Jesse go first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, because this is, so you, you prefaced this discussion on, we don't have any sense of the discourse. And this is the quintessential kind of show where you watch it and go, Huh? And then my first instinct is like, I want to read mm-hmm. like a bunch of really smart writing from like a bunch, like a bunch of people. Like, what did you take? What, what did you make of this? And, um and use that to inform like your broader interpretation of the work. Like it it is, it's rare that like so many shows benefit from all that. Like, and I, I love reading like weekly TV write-ups. Like that's why I like doing this podcast. And so like, this was that kind of show where like absent that I'm just left to like, sit in my own void and go, Huh. Well, <laughs> I guess the show is over. I mean, you know, it's it's not hard to look at. You know, in, in in many ways, what you know, what what Jesse was pointing, like you know, Whitney was extracting from Asher, and the presence of this child, uh, the fact that you know, labor was happening that day, sort of represents. Well, she got what she needed out of Asher. Like she's the Green Queen, and now she also has a child. Um, and what does she even need? asher more mm, uh, yeah. for uh anyway like she has sort of started to build this own little kingdom for for herself and you know the gesture has gone spinning uh into space um you know putting aside yeah. h- how does the world reckon with like like the, <laughs> the like the the, the the act that has occurred um it would it, be
0: like if we made first contact with aliens it'd, it'd be, <laughs> be like right that's right. The, it's the equivalent of like oh, a guy fell into the sky forever and was never seen me. Like people would be talking about it. It would be like a singular event that would change the nature of how we understand science and physics. Right. And I think you have to put that aside <laughs> and like
1: not deal with like right. what were the practical consequences of, of this event. Um, and I think that smile, right. Represents like some form of happiness, whether it's true, whether it's authentic, it's the version like Whitney has told herself. And she did this all herself, right? Like, doctor doesn't come in with her, doula doesn't come in with her. You know, my wife didn't go through C-sections with our two children, but labor itself is a maddeningly lonely process, despite the fact that you are surrounded by people touching you and prodding you and telling you what to do. And she's coming out on the other side of that with a baby and herself and some sense of identity. What that identity is, I don't know. Um, I think the flat, like the ambiguity there is really interesting because that fits thematically with the show in which it's very hard to pin down who are these people, what do they represent, and so I think the show landing in a place where like Asher's complete lack of like self identity like results in his like, death to some extent, and Whitney's we're just never really given. Much true introspection into into who she is, those all feel again it's like it's really in kind with how I feel about the episode as a whole. if you're to describe to me the arcs of these characters where they end up, it feels very fitting for where we were going right i uh, just I just didn't find the path there and the or the metaphor or like it chose to to get there to be emotionally satisfying
0: in the, in the way that I was hoping I think I understand you know i I feel the same way that thematically each character ends in a really Uh, reasonable place thematically right like Whitney is happy it's like the happiest we've seen her at the end of the show is uh she she has given birth to new life and as you said she has gotten what she needs out of Asher um Asher has basically vanished away into oblivion Dougie is incredibly resentful about his selfishness, his embrace of a sensationalistic and voyeurism, and his inability to look at the needs that were right in front of him—you know, like each of these characters got a, the ending they deserved. Uh, now, I, I do think it's worth reflecting on uh, some of the stuff that never we never really came back to. Um, so, for instance. Uh I'm a little bit bummed like we never saw Nala again and her sister you know. Uh I guess the whole s- resolution of the casino subplot was just as a plot device for revealing kind of a, a, a plot device for like moving Asher and Whitney's relationship along is kind of my sense like there's no nobody
1: nobody cared to what Whitney's family's like slumlord, business. right? The, the like, slumlord th- thing—we no we never saw. We never saw uh,
0: Whitney's family again. I, I do wonder, like, to what extent some of those things are like intentionally we left them out, or they just like ran out of budget because they spent so much millions of dollars on making it look like Nathan <laughs> Fielder was flying into the sky. You know, like, uh, so I'm I'm I openly <laughs> or, or recreating an entire segment of the Rachel Ray show, complete with audience members and so on. Like, uh, and by the way, they really you know they really go all the way with everything like they could have done the Rachel Ray thing without showing the audience they could have, they could have done it in a way that like disguised the fact that you know like but they didn't they they wanted to do true to life i think they show like really graphic depictions of the C section as well like they you know yeah. they clearly made up like a but they didn't have to do that you know they could have just like hey here's the baby but they wanted they really just wanted to sh- make everything feel as realistic as possible and i think that is um, one of the ways that this final episode has its emotional impact is the entire show has been filmed in a very, we're using security camera footage way where it's like we're just barely grabbing these shots. You know, they're stationary, locked off shots most of the time, observing people from far away. We're like kind of scientific people studying so that when this moment happens, it is so jarring and discordant in a way that it wouldn't be if this was filmed like a conventional TV show, like the like The Sopranos, something. And 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 I do think that that is um, worth giving some credit to. You know, uh, that the, the basically the rest of the show was configured for this whole sequence to be as disruptive and upsetting as possible. Um, the, the the entire rest of the show feels like it leads up to this moment in a sense. Go ahead, Jesse. Sorry, uh, the the point that you just
2: made me think about with the way they filmed the C section was reminding me of how they filmed this the different births in House of the Dragon which in mm. a lot of different ways felt very sensational and very much hyper-focusing on like, look at these uh, like, look at this like very violent birth that leads to the death of these women or the, the harm of these women yeah. in all of these, uh, all of these uh, episodes. And here again, it's played like very matter of factly and that sort of jumping against like the final kind of line of the show, which is they, the people around having watched Asher float away being like, Oh, what are they doing this for? Oh, for a TV show um which in in many cases is true uh but uh again just going to that sensationalization of everyday life and just the matter-of-fact way we see um the C-section and her like this birth just played very like just like right like documentary felt very much like it was in line with the message of the show about like how we sensationalize the lives of the people around us and actually don't empathize with them. And tying into Whitney, like we never get her interiority at any point in the actual, mm. like in the series. The only time I ever think we get her expressing herself is in that segment where she makes Asher sit down and watch it. Like that's the only time where I think, I think the reason she has Asher watch that is because it's the only time she's ever actually expressed herself truly what she's Yeah
0: and, and or in the when she's actually doing the interview as well we yeah. see a little bit of that as well but yeah, yeah. but so yeah we like, don't really and, and then there's this massive time jump too mm-hmm. right so we don't even like it seems like they've kind of patched things up in the interim but we don't really see yeah. what happened there so well, I think what's
1: really interesting is in many ways there are direct parallels between how the the previous episode ends and how this episode ends in which you know Asher turns into not really a partner as much as like someone who will unconditionally love you and support you with no Mm -hmm. judgment and no real, like, I don't expect to have like, this isn't a partnership anymore. I am just here Mm -hmm. to fulfill what you need to achieve Mm -hmm. what you want. And there are some interesting parallels with having children, like children, Mm -hmm. when they are young, provide you with unconditional love because they don't know any better. Like you are their entire world. And I don't mean that like I like they don't know like kids can't understand your actions, your decisions, what it's like to like the relate the power dynamics between a parent mm-hmm. and a child mm-hmm. because they don't know what they don't know. And so mm-hmm. in some ways, like there's something oddly fitting about where it ends because she has replaced like something that you have full control over with another thing that you have full control over. Mm -hmm. Um, She's just starting with square one with a child as opposed to, well, Asher, who in many ways is just a man child. Um, And so, you know, emotionally
2: speaking, (laughs) how different is the newborn and Asher? And it goes to like the same whole thing of like, she just extracts, things from people around her and she denies that she kind of does it too like she doesn't want to be seen like her parents who are landlords uh she doesn't want to be seen by as it, it like doing harm to this community she always wants to be venerated and yet she's just extracting everything from everyone around her and that's the only way that she can find some semblance of self is through that and the only way she can express herself is through this sensationalized media um, cause she's always also, she's also playing a role and again, tying into that idea of like discussing whiteness and like what, what, what our culture does to many people and like forcing them into pre-described roles that doesn't allow them to be themselves and just having to be put into these power dynamics that they really don't have any ability to navigate. Like all of us are put into some level of power dynamic because the way our society is built. Um, It's yeah. I think it all ties together those themes in a in really
0: like interesting way. So, any closing thoughts? You know, before we get to closing thoughts, actually, why don't we let people know where they can find more of your work on the internet, Uh, Jesse Earl? Where can people find more of your work? Uh, You can find more of my work
2: at Jesse Gender, which is my YouTube name, where I do video essay style of stuff. I just did. uh, (laughs) If you want a six hour essay uh, on Joseph Campbell, the monomyth, Star Wars. And uh, the way we tell uh, political stories today in Blockbuster Media, you can check out that video. Um, and then I'm on all the social medias as well. And then I'm on um, Nebula, which is the streaming service that also hosts a bunch of uh, other YouTubers content um, and will be hosting my movie that I'm making that's coming out later this year. So if you like weird science fiction nerdy stuff, that that's there for you as well.
0: That is not an exaggeration, by the way. Uh, this <laughs> video is five hours and forty-eight minutes long. It is a I, very I, long video. It has a whole I animated.
2: Thought, it's it's, it's and there's a whole thirty-minute like Tarkovsky Clone Wars animated segment <laughs> that we did for it in there.
0: <laughs> so enjoy. I that. thought. Uh, I, I thought. I thought I was doing good by watching H Bomber guy's four-hour video about <laughs> plagiarism, but uh, there's another mountain to climb. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Patrick Klepek, where can people find more of your work on the internet?
1: Uh, You can uh, find me talking about video games, sports, house stuff over at remapradio.com, wherever podcasts uh, are acquired. And then my uh, crossplay, my uh, parenting and gaming newsletter over at crossplay.news.
0: And I want to let people know, again, find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know what your theories are. I'll forward them on to our co Maybe in a future episode of Decoding TV, we'll talk about them. Uh, but yeah, uh, stay tuned to Decoding TV for a lot more stuff coming this month and in the next few months. Closing thoughts on the episode. I mean, in the end, I feel like Whitney kind of won. You know, like that's and and I think we all knew that she would win. And uh, but she got, she got what she wanted. And Asher's out of the picture. And like you all said. Uh, she, you know she's green queen got renewed for a second season even though it's going to be on hctv go which will be merged with paramount plus slash showtime
1: i don't uh, know space boy she might be on actual tv in season <laughs> two
0: David. yeah 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 that's right <laughs> her husband fell into the sky yeah exactly um and i'm trying to think was there anything else that like was an unresolved plot line you know there's stuff that was brought up but that i didn't necessarily expect them to bring back like Dougie meeting up with those kids and driving their car into, into the middle of nowhere. I, I didn't expect that would come back in any way, but it's just like, who was driving the car at the beginning of, I think, episode eight, was it? Where uh, we see somebody kind of following Whitney almost, driving to set. Was that even important? <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like, uh, we spent that, a lot of time talking about it, David. <laughs> that's, the, that, that's, the, that's the question I have. You know about literally everything we brought up was, was that even important? Like the guy in Abshear's house, the person who made the joke to uh, Asher in the baby room this week, the fact that the entire series seems to be filmed from a voyeuristic point of view, was that even important? Cause we obviously spent a lot of time talking about, it, but it's like, uh, you, you know, even though thematically the show ended in a, in a good place, none of those things were addressed or even didn't even feel like they even thought they were worth addressing. So I'm like, was I silly for even spending time thinking about it? Probably the answer is yes, you know? Uh, and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. But yeah, any closing thoughts, Patrick Klepik?
1: Yeah. This is a show of sort of controlled chaos. Uh, it feels like it's, you know, looking at it as a total work, feels like it's barely hanging on to itself, like trying to contain all its ideas (laughs) and what it wants to accomplish. And, I don't know it was, it was a really memorable season of television. Like I'm I'm deeply glad that I watched it. I can only hope that the folks involved were as happy with the like I'd love to see like Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie collaborate on something else in the future. Like the way their two frequencies of creative work like riff off of one another is just very unique. There's literally nothing else like the curse. Um, and if we get nothing else from that collaboration, like I'm glad we got this, but I'd love to see what they did with another attempt at like, trying to work on their wavelengths. Like, What would they produce um, as a result? And I'm desperate. Someone please leak the uh, Christopher <laughs> Nolan moderating an interview between Nathan Fielder and Benny Safdie that apparently happened as part of a WGA yeah. thing. It's not a oh, public bit. Like, I would love... To hear like what that conversation with life, like because we're Nolan, very serious guy, but also kind of funny and like yeah. has interesting opinions on comedy, um, even though that doesn't come through a lot in his his work. So just a just a really interesting work and would love to see at least these creatives, if not Emma Stone, do something in the future. But if they don't, they made something really memorable. And like that's that's a high bar to clear uh for as much stuff as there is to watch these days. And I'm I'm glad we got to 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 see it play out.
0: You know, I do want to say one other thing um, that I was a little bit disappointed by, and I started going into this a little earlier, but Jesse, you made a great point about how we never really get that much of Whitney's interiority other than when she's being interviewed. And I was disappointed we didn't really see how the results of Asher's plea at the end of episode nine played out, right? Mm-hmm. Asher gives this big pitch of, like, hey, I'm all in on Whitney. Like, it, it's going to be great. And then clearly they've reconciled and, like, started to build a family together by the beginning of episode 10. But wh- what happened? Like, whoops, I moved my microphone back. Uh, what <laughs> happened? Like, did, did that go 100% smoothly? Because, like, we don't even know. We don't even know, like, what Whitney's feeling on Asher is in episode 10. That's kind of my biggest problem with the finale Is is the. All the falling upwards into the sky like just takes over so quickly. We don't really get a sense of like is she deeply conflicted about this? Is she loving it? Everything's great. That was that's the one thing that I feel like I'm really bummed we didn't really get a get an answer to.
2: I actually, so my read on that was that she just she she hoped that by showing this sequence because she couldn't really express it herself and so she showed the sequence to Asher being like this is me expressing myself and then when Asher's response is to just do the thing that she said she didn't want which is just him just subsuming himself to her she just she just closed up and like the beginning of this episode to me just showcases like she just kept going along being like all right I'll have a baby we'll get the show out like it just felt like she went into just like script mode where it's just like all right, I there's nothing I can do and I'm just going to just kind of be dead inside and just go th- <laughs> I really just like felt like she just went through the motions and then when he died at the end of this episode when she extracted everything that she she needed out of him it's like finally she can be a person is kind of that vibe mm, uh that yeah, I okay. got from it and so I, That was great, sort of my great, impression of it.
0: But. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a very solid reading and uh very smart reading. And <laughs> I think, uh, none of, none of that is like said out loud, but I think it's a very like reasonable, uh, reaction to the film. All right, Jesse, you're all, you you want to take us home? Any final thoughts?
2: Uh, I mean, the only thing that I'll sort of add because I think Patrick said everything really, really well. I think this is a yeah. a phenomenal season of TV, and whether you uh, end up feeling uh like you liked the finale or not, I think you'll have a bunch to talk about as we clearly did. Uh, the only other thing I'll add is I just want I, I want to shout out Emma Stone because she was fantastic throughout this entire season. Like everyone was great, and again, Nathan Fielder like showcased he had more acting chops than I would have thought not that not that he was ever I never thought he was bad but certainly had a lot more range but Emma Stone just really was the highlight of this entire season she was fantastic and I think uh she deserves any and all accolades she gets for for the show so
0: 100% 100% all right i want to give a sh- huge shout out to Patrick Klepek for joining me for the series stay tuned to decoding tv next week we'll have more news on what is to come thank you to Jesse Earl for joining us for today this is awesome to have your insights Jesse And until next time, thanks for listening to Decoding TV. We'll see you later. Goodbye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes,
1: flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves –